Jerry was complaining about my sermon title this morning, I just called it Peter, didn't put a lot into that, and he said it's a demonstration that I'm not working properly in studying. So I've changed the name of this, Josiah. It's just Jonah tonight. That's all it is. Jonah chapter 4. And I had probably one of the best names I've ever created in a sermon in my life for this message tonight, but I'm not going to give it now. It's over with. Jonah chapter 4, starting in verse number 4. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? If you, verse 1, I should probably back up here a little bit. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Why? Because Nineveh repented. And he, he, was, he was mad, and uh, he knew God was gracious and merciful, and, and he's mad over these amazing attributes of God. And he asked basically to die in verse 3. And this is the Lord's response. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. He's still hoping maybe judgment would fall. And the Lord prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. <coughs> Excuse me. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. Think about that. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass, when the sun did arise, that God prepared a vehement east wind. In the first chapter, he prepared a wind as well. We see it again here. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished himself to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. Should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than sixscore thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly love you. We thank you for your word. We ask your blessing upon the message tonight. Lord, I pray that you be glorified and honored. Lord, help me to stay true to your word, and I pray again that it would help us that would draw us closer. You meet the needs that are here, Lord. Prick hearts and draw us closer. Encourage where it's needed. And Lord, again, may this be a help. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted. Lord, I pray that even this evening they'd repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Jonah here is a, obviously a short book. I preached through this book a couple of years ago. I think it was in 2018, 2019 time frame that I preached through the book of Jonah, and this prophet of God, and I want to cover one aspect of his life. In you know, chapter 1, we see God calling him uh, to go to Nineveh and preach, and uh, Nineveh, of course, was the greatest enemy of Israel at that time, 
they were brutal, brutal people. If you go back and read in the message, I describe the Ninevites. And Nineveh would be the capital of the Assyrians, basically. And that's where the Lord's telling him to go. I want you to go to the capital. And they were brutal. I mean, how they would torture people, what they would do. It was horrible. And here's God telling them to head there. And I'd speculate when I preached through Jonah that I thought it's possible that Jonah probably had somebody he knew very well directly affected by the torturous actions of the Assyrians. Again, they were just brutal. And here's God that tells Jonah, I am sending you to Nineveh. You're my prophet. I'm telling you to go there. You're going to go preach. And Jonah would have none of it. Remember, what motivated Jonah, you might think initially when you're reading that it would be fear. I'm not going to Nineveh. Uh, when we went through it, that's when ISIS was raging, and they were the top news story every day. And I'd said, you know, the, the Assyrians, the, where it was taking place at, I mean, they were the ISIS of their day. They were brutal. And he sent them to the capital. But it wasn't fear. The fact was, Jonah knew the Lord sending him there to preach, it's possible they'll actually repent. He wanted them judged. He wanted, I mean, I mean, he wanted them to suffer. And so he heads, he disobeys God, and he heads a completely different direction. We come into chapter 4. He has already been to Nineveh. We understand God sent the storm. He gets thrown over the boat. Uh, once the the, 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 the the atheistic, or not atheistic, but the paganistic sailors realize that Jonah is the reason for the massive storm, that they'd never seen anything like it, and so they throw Jonah overboard, and sure enough, the storm stops, and the Lord had prepared a great fish. This giant whale comes up and swallows Jonah, and, and he's in the belly of the whale, suffering at that point, and that's where you see his prayer of a prayer to God that I will do what you told me to do, and then the and then God has that giant fish spit him up onto dry land. And that sermon is when, I, when we preach through this, I preached on, there's a fish coming. You stay disobedient to God. He will prepare something in your life that will get your attention. And that if you don't, you will end up dead. If he doesn't repent in the belly of that well, he dies right there. That would be his death. And, of course, he goes and he, he obeys God and he preaches. And this is where we come up into chapter 4. We've seen in his life what anger and bitterness can do. How far it can take you. And keep in mind, his bitterness is growing over the fact that God wants to show grace. His decision showed his heart was not right. Again, Twice in what we read in chapter, twice it says in chapter 4 that he, he'd prefer to die. How sad that a man of God, a prophet, can get to this place in his life. A place that's so far from God as to what is important to God. Of what he was doing, that he'd rather die. And Jonah, we see what this looks like. A man that is so far away from God and doesn't even know it. And that's what I want to drive at. That's what I use in chapter 4 this evening is just that angle. And how you can get so far from God and you don't even know it until you're faced with some measure of obedience of God's direction in your life that challenges your flesh. 
then it reveals itself. You see, it's not your position that makes you right with God. It's not how faithful you are to church that makes you right with God. It all centers on where your heart is. As the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 4, out of it are the issues of life. As we can all recognize, all of us can be very much like Jonah in our walk with God. We have something that has weakened us spiritually, and we don't even see it. That there's an angle, there's a Nineveh in our life that we're not going to let go of. We can be in a place where we think we are fine, that we have a walk with God, but the truth is, God knows that's simply not true. And He has to bring that, that bring you to that point where you begin to realize it, where you see it in the mirror, really what's wrong with you. Before the call came to Nineveh, the Lord knew what was going on in Jonah's heart, but Jonah did not. It is when the Lord directs us to something that affects that character issue. And then all of a sudden it's revealed. When the call came for Jonah to go to Nineveh, his sin became very clear. I'm not doing it. God, I'll serve you in this arena, but I'm not doing that. You have me here, but I'm not going there. I forgot. Somebody neglected to tell me that we get to tell the Creator what we will and won't do. Here's Jonah. His bitterness is now visible and apparent. He finds himself running from God. Not even possible. We certainly don't want that day to come in our life. We don't want to find ourselves running from God, that God is sending a storm, that God is sending, preparing a storm, preparing a fish, putting things in, in, in place into our life as a matter of chastisement to try and get our attention. Jonah, by not being obedient to his calling and allowing bitterness to come in, was proving the serious problems that he had in his own relationship with God. It is showing there's something really off. Just because he's a prophet, just because of his position, did not mean he was close with God. The fact of his response towards Nineveh reveals just how far he was. It reveals his life was not all about God. If it was, he would have rejoiced at the call to go to Nineveh. He said, God, I can see what you're going to do here. He could see how this could affect the entire known world of that day. How if repentance could actually come to the Assyrians, what would take place? But because he was so actually far from God as a prophet, he failed to see it. I'm going to look at three indicators of what took place of showing his walk wasn't right. The same things will be true in our life. In other words, if these things are off, 
It's proof of what's off when all of a sudden we have a Nineveh in our life. We have something that God all of a sudden reveals to us and it's showing us, Ooh, wait a second. I'm not nearly as close to God as I thought I was. Because I'm not doing that. So let's look at these three indicators which demonstrate your walk is not right. Listen, get these things right now before the Nineveh has to come, before anger sets in, before the bitterness comes in, so that you could set these things on a right course. So what are the indicators? When you look at your direction, your direction. Back in chapter 1, we see Jonah running from God. The will of God came. He takes off to Tarshish. He's avoiding what God wanted him to do. He's not about to go to the Ninevites. He knows what God wants to do there. He simply isn't for it. He, he wants to get as far away from it as possible. It really is sad at times when all of a sudden, maybe it's, maybe it's in, a, in, in a simple sermon that you're hearing preached. Maybe it's, it, it's during that devotion time. You know, you think you're there, you're right with God. All of a sudden, that Holy Spirit brings up to your attention again. Something you know. You know. It's there. And all of a sudden that wall just comes up. No, God, I want this. See, this distance doesn't speak to something of a geographical nature. It speaks something to our heart. His heart was already out of town. By his direction, it showed us a few things. It, shows, it showed us that he lost sight of his responsibility as a prophet of God. He was putting self before his obedience. He was perfectly fine being obedient until faced with something that went directly against his flesh. He actually wanted to hold on to the bitterness. Boy, if you're not careful, you'll, you will actually desire the bitterness. You will. Bitterness is a powerful sin. That's why the Bible warns over and over to get that out before that root of bitterness comes into place. It'll just, again, it's, it's almost like you use bitterness to meet a need in your life. It changes your entire demeanor as a person. Jonah wanted his bitterness against the Assyrians. He didn't want to let it go. He was not willing to set it aside for the Creator. demonstrating how far he was from actually having God first in his life and loving God with all his heart, soul, mind, and might. Your misplaced direction will eventually remove you from the will of God. The day will come. The day will come by series of events or circumstances when that isn't right, that your direction is just begins to pull away as you see God's leading and guiding, the wall comes up, your direction heads the other direction from the will of God. You begin to focus on a self-centered life. And really what was taking place in the heart becomes more and more revealed. Because for you to get to that place, 
You'd have to surrender that up. People think that I'm that I'm joking or or, or, or putting it in. Maybe not joke. I know what the word is, but I, I am completely serious when I realized God was calling me and I did not want to go to New Guinea. I had no listen. And those of you that do know me, it should be pretty clear. I have no I I had no aspirations of living in the jungle. None. I'd read the books and be so glad somebody else did it. To the point where the Lord knew what it was. I knew I was in a place when, the, when I finally surrendered to it. And the nudge first hit in 1995. Surrendering it to it, not until early winter, February of 2001. And the kicker was this. I knew what the, through what the Lord did through a series of circumstances that many of you already know. I was in a place of disobedience if I don't. But then I also had a decision to make. Am I going to do this grudgingly or realize it's of God? I did it grudgingly. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Again, all of a sudden you find yourself more and more a self-centered life. You'll become more unfaithful with your walk with God because of that challenge to your obedience that has taken place. You will struggle with that internally because you see it's there. It's happened now. And so now that struggle, then you're like, ugh. And unless you get that thing right, that place you thought you were with God, it begins to unravel on you. For many Christians, the life of the Christian is too much about being the benefits of of being a Christian and not the responsibility of being a Christian. But there's great responsibility that goes with us knowing Christ. Too often we simply want God to bless our life without any regard to those around us and the judgment that is to come. And we notice it in, when I preached on this prior in, in Jonah chapter 1. Every step out of the will of God was a downward step. I like how it put it in Jonah. Down to Joppa, down into the ship, down into the sea, down into the belly of the great fish. Listen, that's all that's going to take you is down. I mean, just try and use the life of Jonah as a little bit of motivation for you. You don't want to live in this position. Think of the joy he actually could have been experiencing. I'm going to get to it in a second. He had joy over a gourd. Woo, that, that is just messed up. Think of the joy he should have been having. But he wanted the bitterness. Your direction. That's an indicator. Second indicator is your dedication. What I mean by this is really your heart. Jonah eventually ends up obeying because of uh, getting swallowed by the whale, getting spit up. He does obey, but he obeys, as the Bible describes many of the kings, he obeys God, but not with a right heart. He was obedient. He fulfilled his commitment as a prophet. Lord, I will fulfill my vow. I'm a prophet. I'll do it. You've called me. I'll do it. But as we see it take place, 
He does it, but not with a right heart. Do you understand? God wants your obedience with a right heart. That's the goal. He's not looking simply for you to be obedient grudgingly, just any more than you parents are with your kids. When you tell your kids to do something, you see, mm, fine, I'll do it. I mean, probably every single one of your parents, when we see our kid do this, that ain't happening. Mm-mm. You're going to be happy to do this, and I'm going to make sure of it. I have prepared a whale. I would, no, I'm not going there. You ought to be careful right there. When Jonah did obey, he did so with not, without a right heart. Obviously an indicator. Jonah, something's very off with you. He, st- he obeyed, but he still cared more about vengeance than grace. You ever been there where people are so worried about vengeance? I, I remember I, w- I was preaching a meeting. Bigger church. And I knew of an incident that happened with the missionary. And the missionary wasn't right in the incident, but, but he was off the field. All right? Wanting to do what was right. Um, and it was just a bad situation off the field. And I was preaching in the church where his pastor was. And he was no longer in that church. And his pastor came up, came up to me and just wanting more information. I mean, I could just sense the need for vengeance. And, and, and I didn't provide anything. I wanted to say, he's off the field. He's done. But just the need, you could just see it, the need for vengeance. When you get to this place where you're obeying God, but not with the right heart, it's pretty miserable. You begin to go just through the motions of the Christian life. Boy, there's great danger here. That immediately, as we see with Jonah, steals your joy for serving Christ. It's gone. The joy is gone. That should be in place. And here's the danger of that. We as humans, the way God designed us, we want joy. We do. I mean, the pursuit of happiness. We desire it. We do. So, if you're trying to serve God, which his life is all about him, but now you have something in place, and Nineveh has revealed itself, and now you're in a place where you have to go through the motions of the Christian life, the joy is gone. Listen to me. It's just a matter of time before you seek joy somewhere else. You will seek joy in something else. Because you desire that. Whether that's in a relationship, whether that's in a hobby, whether that's... Pick it. The devil will put anything before you. You don't care what it is as long as you're off on your direction and your obedience. The Lord's work all of a sudden becomes more of a burden in your life. It's difficult. Oh, man, I'm tired of teaching those brats. It becomes difficult. Speaking of the adult Sunday school class, I heard Mitch say that today. (laughs) Again, you might be an obeying a God, but you know your heart isn't right. It's still in your joy. It's a dangerous place to be because you're going to be looking for joy from something. That should be the Lord. 
we begin to lose sight, just like Jonah did, of the very heart of God. Jonah forgot how much he needed the grace of God in his life. How much he needed God's forgiveness. His direction was an indicator. His dedication or his heart was an indicator. He was doing which was right by the time you get into chapter 3, but not with the right heart. Then we come into chapter 4. It's here, as you see, I'm trying to actually preach the entire book tonight. It's here you begin to see where his decisions reveal his heart. This comes into the text that we read. Jonah has preached. Verse 10, let me finish it. Let, let me go back to chapter 3 and read a little bit here. Verse 10, this is after how Nineveh responded to the preaching of Jonah. It says, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he said he would do unto them, and he did it not. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very excuse me, angry. And he, here he is, furious, angry, and he's going to pray. <laughs> you know this prayer is going to go well. I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country. Therefore I fled before into Tarshish, for I knew, as if these are bad qualities, thou art a gracious God, and merciful, and slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore, now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And what you see here is God's grace. I'm surprised God just said, done. Done. And th- th- let's think about that for a minute. Let's say God did that. Let's say he did that. Done, Jonah. Jonah drops dead. His soul departs his body. I'm not going to get into a theological discussion, but it goes to paradise. Do you realize that at that moment, even though where he's at, the measure of regret that's going to hit him? Because at that moment, he's going to see how petty, self-centered, and foolish he was. God doesn't want him to enter into eternity that way. He shows grace. The Lord's reply to him was just a question. That was it. Doest thou well to be angry? So the Lord's going to give a demonstration to Jonah and what's going on in his own heart. Jonah heads out, makes him this booth area, sits in it, uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the shadow, trying to get out from the heat of the day, from the sun, till he, might, he wants to see what's going to happen to the city. Maybe God will still judge it. So the Lord prepares this gourd. We're not sure exactly what it was. Some say it's like this castor oil plant. It grows up to 8, 10 feet rather quickly. Actually has a giant leaf, one leaf on it, and that's it. A giant leaf on it that can give shade. And so uh, most say that's what they believe that God allowed just to pop up, provide this shade to Jonah um, in this moment. And so 
Jonah's there, and here's Jonah, exceeding glad over the gourd. Incredible! Then God kills it. Prepare to worm. It's dead. And then God goes ahead, let's make it even hotter. Prepares the vehement east wind. The sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished himself to die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. And then the question's repeated. God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Then the Lord gets very direct. Thou hast had pity on the gourd. For the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not spare Nineveh, the great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and also much cattle. And that, that phrase is much debated what the Lord was saying. Now, I'll give what I think. It's usually between two thoughts. Some say it's referring to the children that were present there, that were too young to recognize, that be cognitive of, of that much. Uh, very young children. But I think he's speaking to the entire city when he says that, of their ignorance. St. Jonah, this is what they know. This is where they grew up. This is all they know. There's ignorance. You're the one supposed to bring them truth in what it's about. Let's see how they respond once they hear truth. If they reject it, don't worry. Judgment's going to fall on them. They were brutal. But the Lord is gracious. If they'll repent, just like the prodigal son, if they'll come back, I will receive them. So there's lessons here. And I want to bring up a couple of them right now before we close. I have, now these right here I have brought up in another message. I doubt you remember, it's been several years, but it's important lessons that we learn from these actions of Jonah right here in Jonah chapter 4. One, we see what took place with his decisions in that things became more important to him than souls. Things became more important to him than souls. Again, the guy has more pity over this vine than he did the entire city of Nineveh. Think about that for a second. So why the Lord, doest thou well to be angry over a gourd? I mean, what in the world, Jonah? Think of the thousands of people that are sitting there, and you're having pity over a gourd. What is wrong with you? But things, when you're in this condition, your decisions, because things are much more important to you than souls are. Do you ever wonder the constant battle? I, I know I'm not the only one. The constant battle that seems to be taking place in our life over how we perceive souls. To try and get us to a place is just to try and... just So we fail to see the value that's there. We become more concerned with things than with people. Churches become more obsessed with parking lots and buildings and life centers. None of those things are wrong. But when they're the priority, what it's all about, something is wrong. All of a sudden, little things begin to bother you and eat at you. Look at all these stinking kids around here. What's wrong with us? No, what's wrong with your heart? What's wrong with your heart? Where there are no oxen, the crib is clean. All of a sudden, these other things begin. You, you lose sight, just like Jonah, of what it's actually all 
about. And you become more obsessed over the things than the souls that are involved. Where's Mitch at? Now, I, 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 Mitch, they had left when you were, how old were you when you guys left here, when you were a boy? And I don't have too much memory, because I was only here about a year, I don't think even a year when you all left. But something tells me Mitch was a complete brat in church. Am I right? No. <laughs> I, I'm, I could just see him running around 7, 8, 9, 10 years old with that red hair. I wonder how many thought how the Lord would have used them. He's not using them much now, but the potential's there. <laughs> but things become more important than souls. All of a sudden, our priorities change. This is an indicator of your decisions because maybe it's hobbies. It, there's so much more that takes precedent in your life, priority, a, a more preeminent position, than the actual will of God. You can actually begin to view the will of God like Jonah, like it's threatening to you, like it's stealing from you. I remember having a conversation with a teenager who was viewing the will of God as taking something from them. And, 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 and I could see how it came about in this secular, humanistic culture, society, and how the devil would use different thoughts to say, yeah, oh yeah, just like with Eve. No, there's some good things that you're missing out on. No, you're not. Do you understand what a short time we are here on this earth? It is so short. Life is as a vapor. It appears while and vanishes away. That is so true. Listen to the only thing that really matters. It's not just a saying. is what you do for God. That's it. It is vanity outside of that. Go back and listen to the series on Ecclesiastes. It truly is. It's vanity. What we're trying to provide isn't that you're missing out. We're trying to actually show you what it's all about. You're going to miss out on what it's all about when you choose that direction. Secondly, not only were things more important than souls, but feelings to Jonah were more important than faith. Who he was, by what I mean by that. I mean, this is God's prophet. But his feelings were more important. He allowed feelings to direct his decisions, what we're looking at, than he did who he was in the faith. He cared little about his testimony when his feelings got involved. I mean, we can tie in pride to that and everything else. Because then, I don't care anymore. My feelings are what's important. Anger could set in so easily, just like with Jonah. If that's not dealt with, the door is open to bitterness. That begins to pop in. The bitterness begins to build. You want to know why? Again, because your feelings to you are more important because the self-centered life or the direction of your heart is what's taking place now than who you are in Christ. See, I told you because my boiler furnace went out and I had to take a cold shower, I'd preach mad today. 
So, and I'm thinking I got to take another cold shower tomorrow. So I'm mad. So with Jonah, we see what was more important to him than who he was as a prophet of God was his own feelings. And thirdly, we see this with Jonah. Comfort. This is still under his decisions. Comfort with the gourd was more important than obedience still. Jonah was fine and joyous to sit in the shade, discomfort, than watching God work. Comfort was more important than obedience. He went into a comfort zone. That's what he wanted. And when that was taken, just kill me. So often we can put comfort before obedience. I've given this illustration before, and boy, it fits. It's still so mad at myself. And that was going back into the 90s, preaching in, the, in Palmer State Pen every week. We had the jail, Anchorage Jail on Saturdays and Palmer State Pen on Thursdays. And I was at both each week. And, and Thursday nights I always preferred. I, I preached at both, but head out to Palmer and preach out there. Several of the men here would go. I know from Steve Brunk would go, oh, look, they're fighting. I'm sorry you two are so distant right now. We, we can talk after. That's all right, brother. And I, I'm just kidding. Um, I think Rob, you head out to Palmer. I remember Rob going out there to Palmer, and there might be some others here I'm not thinking of. But anyhow, and I, had, I was preaching out there on one evening, and I still remember, I can still remember preaching the message. I'm going back and forth. And I happened to bring up the verse in the Bible that says it's a shame for a man to have long hair. Now, I did the good thing. I made sure I didn't see anybody with long hair. And then I hit it. It's a shame for a man to have long hair. And anyhow, the service ended, and one of the men stood up. I did not know his name yet, but his name is Tim. He stood up, and I watched him turn to walk away. He was huge. Tim was a really, really big man. It, within the chapel service, we didn't have a whole lot there. We probably had 15 to 20 present, but he was clearly the biggest there in there. And I am a whopping 5'8 and a half. This is closer to 5'9 technically. And he turned and he had hair all the way down. And I was like, oh my goodness. He's going to beat me right here. We're going to be on the news here in a couple hours and everything. And he walked out. And I just felt... And I was trying to be, listen, the Lord knew it. You didn't, I, I, I could say honestly for the Lord, I did not know that. I wasn't pointing him out. But in my mind, I'm thinking, he's thinking I did. He's thinking I saw that and I went after him. I didn't do that. I don't, anybody, I don't ever want to use this as a whipping post. Oh, I see what you're doing. I'm coming at you. I'm, I am to, simply to feed. That's what I am to do. And so I, I think the Lord did purposely protect me from that because I wouldn't have went after it. So a week later comes. A week later comes, I'm greeting, greeting him as they come in the door, and, and here comes Tim. I still don't know. This is the day I'm going to learn his name. And, and on my stomach is just wrenching. He had his hair all up in like a ponytail. Like a, no, no, I'll stop. And so he's coming up, and he comes up, and he shakes my hand, smiles, and he turns, and he got a haircut. And he got a haircut. Well, we laughed, and we, we hit it off instantly. So I can't wait to talk to him every week. Well, about a year goes by, he gets out. He's released from prison. He's out of prison, and, and he would call from time to time. And, uh, and I would, we would meet. I remember, I think I told you story one time, he got beat to a pulp and called, asked if I'd take him to the hospital and go there. He was just, it, they used something on his face. It was just horrible looking. 
And, uh, um, and then the last time I ever heard from him was a time that I was wrong, when I put comfort before obedience. He calls me up, it's like 2, 3 in the morning. And I'm still in the Air Force, I have to work the next day, even though I'm still assistant pastor at the church. And he calls me about 2 in the morning, and he did not live in a good part of town. I'm going to use all this to justify what I'm getting ready to tell him on the phone. And he says, he says, hey, I need to talk. Can we, can we meet right now and talk? And I said, Tim, we'll, we'll get together for lunch. I'll buy you lunch. And I said, just let me know where you're at. I'll come get you for lunch and we'll talk then. And he kept saying, he said, no, I need to meet now. Let's, let's talk now. And I said, well, all right, well, let's talk right here. No, no, I, I need you to come. Just, just come. Let's, let's, let's talk right now. I said, Tim, I've got to work in a couple of hours. I said, let's meet for lunch. And that went back and forth just for a, a minute or so. And finally, Tim said, yes, that's fine. I never heard from him again. That's putting comfort before obedience. That's putting self before somebody else. As you can tell, it still convicts me now. That was probably 1997 when that took place. So that's been, what, 10, going on, what, 30 years since that thing occurred? No, 20 years. I'm well off in my math in that. But you can get like Jonah. Your position doesn't guarantee it. It all matters where your heart is. And what we see here, Jonah, in conclude, let me conclude this, is how throughout the book, God prepared a measure of chastisement as well as grace with it to help him. Again, a key word throughout the book is the word prepared. How God prepared a fish, prepared wind, prepared a worm, prepared a gourd. And it, there's even other ways where that word isn't quite used, but it's implied. Like in chapter 1, it doesn't use the word prepared for the storm or the wind in the first, but it says he sent it. So there's time and time again when it's of God, when he's trying to get Jonah's attention, when he's trying to use this, he's like, God has personally prepared to try and reveal to Jonah the condition of his heart because he was failing to see it, and to try to get him to repent of where his heart is, not just obedience and action, but to get his heart behind it. There are times God does prepare things and put them in our life to try and draw us back to him. To allow us to see our true condition, that we can actually serve God with our heart, to get us focused on God's heart and God's purpose. And listen, that's why we were created. That is what it's all about. Again, you're never, never... It just won't happen. Will you find an aged saint who has stayed faithful to God all their life, who went through sacrifice and suffering and toil? Never will you find one who will say, man, I, I really messed that up. You won't find it. Because it is what life is all about. You don't see Paul in 2 Timothy after all that he went through. The, uh, once that man got saved, he basically did nothing but suffer. And at the end of his life, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there was laid up for me a crown. He understood what it was about. No regrets. Listen, life is about him. And how we measure where we're at, you look at your direction. You look at your dedication, where your heart's actually at, and the decisions you're making. What's going to happen when you're faced with your Nineveh? Or maybe you are right now. The way to turn is towards the Lord. That's the direction you want to go with. Heads bowed and eyes closed.
Maybe you've been running from God. Maybe it's time to come back from that. Maybe you've been obeying, but not with the right heart. Ask the Lord, Lord, please help me to. Help me simply to seek you, to want you. Now let me ask this. Is there anyone here say, Pastor, I am not certain if I were to die, I know where I'm going. Do you know what's going to happen? If you were to die right now, are you certain you'd go to heaven? Because one day you're going to die and be judged of Almighty God. You have broken His law. Every single person who was found guilty of that judgment is cast into a lake of fire. That's what you need to be saved from. That's why God became a man 2,000 years ago in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son. So that He, as a man, could live the perfect life in your place and go to that cross and take your place in judgment. So He could die for you. He defeated death and rose again. He did that to save you. Salvation is in Christ alone. Is there anyone here say, Pastor, yes, please. I'm not certain what's going to happen to me. When I die, please pray for me. Would you just raise your hand where I could see it? Anybody here like that? Now, I won't call you out. Just raise your hand and let me see it. Anybody. I see some small children. All right, Christian. If the Lord spoke to your heart tonight, you come and pray. Father in heaven, bless this invitation, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Turn to page 516. If you need to come and pray, you come and pray.
right, if all hearts are clear, we'll pray and be dismissed.